All right, turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 6. We read uh, from uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. It's one of the gospel accounts of resurrection morning. Uh, when the women go to the tomb of Jesus and they find the tomb empty, they're going to prepare his body to get his body ready for um, burial, permanent entombment. And lo and behold, they get there and the tomb is empty. So this Easter Sunday is the culmination of of these three messages that we've been uh, preaching, teaching, talking about over the last uh, two weeks. Two weeks, three weeks ago we did uh, our death with Christ. Last week we did our burial with Christ. And today on Easter Sunday we're going to talk about our resurrection with Christ. When we talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, we're talking about the cross. So when When I say the cross of Christ, I want you to understand this. I'm not just, and the Bible is not just talking about the death of Christ. It's talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read, we're going to read the first 11 verses. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we had If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The resurrection of Christ. We could just say it like this, the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is the pivotal event in all of history. It's sad in some ways that much of the church is looking to some future event as the greatest, most wonderful thing that's ever to happen. There would be nothing for us to look forward to. There would be no second coming of Christ if Christ would not have been risen. 
Had Jesus not come out of that tomb on the third day, we have nothing. This is what Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians. If Christ is not risen, you're still in your sins. Your faith is meaningless. It's all futility. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is the pivotal event of all of history. Period. Apart from that, we have nothing. So what transpired in the resurrection of Christ? So, how do we get come to a resurrection? There had to be a death in order for there to be a resurrection. So, in the cross, Christ was crucified. In the cross, Christ was buried. And in the cross, Christ was raised again. So if you have been crucified with him, you have been raised in his life. This is what Paul is writing to the church in Rome. This is what Jesus called being born again. You are now alive in Christ. Until you are crucified with him, buried with him, and raised with him, you are not alive. You might be walking around breathing oxygen and your body is working, But as far as God is concerned, you are dead. This is what the entirety of the Scripture teaches us. This is why, as the church, understanding the importance of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is so very important. Because if you don't understand that, you have no real comprehension or understanding of your salvation. So to live with Christ and in Christ is not only a future reality. We're not going to just live with Christ one day when we get to heaven. No, we live in Christ. We are alive in Christ right now. So if you have been born again, you are resurrected and living eternally in Christ right now. That's where you live. That's where you move. That's where you have your very being. So going to heaven, one day you say, well, one day I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven. And people, I hear people say this all the time, oh, I'll be so happy when I can just leave this earth and get to heaven and finally be with Christ. You need to understand you're with Christ right now if you are his child. You're not going to be any closer to him in heaven than you are to him right now. You'll see him more clearly, but you're not going to be any closer to him. You're not going to love him anymore, and he's not going to love you anymore. There'll be lots of distractions that will be gone, but in terms of his love for you and who you are to him and who you are in him, you're not going to have more of that. It's not going to be greater in heaven than it is right now. You just won't have a comprehension problem when you're in heaven. You have a comprehension problem right now. You don't have a position problem. You don't have a problem with God's love. God's love for you can be no greater than it is right now. It's not going to be greater in heaven. So going to heaven doesn't make us alive with Christ. We go to heaven because we have already been made alive in Christ. Being physically resurrected one day does not make us alive with Christ. Our bodies will be resurrected one day because we have already been spiritually raised and made alive in Christ. You understand what I'm saying? That's going to happen one day because of what's already happened. 
If you are in Christ now, you are in resurrection life right now and for all eternity. The reason I have no doubt Jesus is coming back is because Jesus is not in the tomb. The second coming is just the culmination of what God has already done and already initiated in the Spirit. The work of the cross in us is to be crucified with Christ. It's for us to die with Christ, for us to be buried with Christ so that we can be and will be raised with Christ. In this We put off the old man and we put on the new man, who is Christ. This is the grace and the power of the cross. The cross puts away something, it gets rid of something, and it brings and it ushers in something new. That is by grace. And that is by His power. That's not because you deserve it. It's not because you've worked real hard for it. It's not because you've prayed real hard for it. It's not because you've tarried long for it. No, it's because God chose in his mercy to have grace upon you. So the resurrection brings forth a new creation. In Christ, we are a new creation. If you are in Christ, the Bible says of you that you are a new creation. Christ was crucified and took our sin, and he took God's wrath as the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15.45 calls Jesus the last Adam. Why the last Adam? Because he's the end of something. The very next verse, he's called the second man. He's the beginning of something else. So Christ is, as the last Adam, the end of something. As the second man, he's the beginning of something else. In the cross, the old was put away and something new was brought forth. When Jesus rose from that tomb, something new, a new creation, was initiated. So Christ was raised on the third day and he is called the second man in 1 Corinthians 15, 47. He's called the heavenly man in 1 Corinthians 15, 48. He's called the one new man in Ephesians 2.15. He's called the firstborn or the preeminent among many brethren in Romans 8.29. Christ is the preeminent first fruits of his creatures. He is the second man of a new creation or of a new humanity. Romans 8.29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, that Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. People tell me quite often, well, I'm just not ready to accept Jesus yet, but, but when I get ready, then, then I'll, I, I will. Like, God's just waiting. God's just up in heaven twiddling his thumbs, waiting, just waiting. wonder when he's going to be ready. I wonder when he's going to be ready. Well, I'll just wait a little bit longer. I wonder when he's going to be ready. Now, listen, the Bible says now, today is the day, now is the time of salvation. We don't come to God on our time. Are you listening to me, church? We don't come to God on our time. 
God calls us in His time. Salvation, your salvation, if you've even got an inkling, a thought rolling around in your head that that maybe you need Jesus, I'm going to tell you what, run as fast as you can to the cross of Christ and plead for His mercy and His grace. Call upon His name, because the Bible says, all who call upon His name shall be saved. Those who call upon His name shall not be put to shame. Jesus Christ did not come so that He could put His children to shame. Jesus Christ came so that He could save His children. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, God will never shame you. God will never condemn you. When you call upon the name of the Lord from a heart of faith, the only thing that God will do is save you. That's what He will do. Therefore, if anyone, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is such an important scripture. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, the problem with a lot of Christians is not that the old hasn't passed away. It's that they, they don't believe the old has passed away. They don't believe that they have really become new. They don't believe they are a new creation. They don't believe that God has made all things new. But this is what the Scripture declares. It's not what your mind tells you. It's not what the voices whispering in your ear always tell you. It's not what your past tells you. It's not what your present always tells you. But the Bible is very clear that we're not to live our life based on our feelings, and we're not to live our life based on what we can see. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. So what really counts is not what you think, it's not what you feel, it's not your goosebumps or lack of goosebumps, it's not your condemnation or lack of condemnation, it's not your guilt or shame or lack thereof. What counts is what does the Bible say about you? If you are in Christ, who does the Bible declare you to be? And the Bible declares that you are his son, you are his child, adopted, that he put his spirit inside of you, and that spirit in you cries out, Abba, Father. That he has adopted you, brought you into his family, made you his very own. Now, there are forces of this world that don't want you to believe that. There's an enemy, there's a devil who does not want you to believe that. He doesn't want you to believe that's true. That's too good to be true. That's right, he is, and the father of all lies. So he'd rather you just live your life in guilt and condemnation, always reliving, always rehearsing your past, always living and reliving and reliving and reliving again your past failures. Listen, learn from your past, learn from your mistakes. But it's not your past that is your identity. Christ is your identity. Your success is not your identity. Your failure is not your identity. Your past is not your identity. Your future is not your identity. Christ is your identity. 
And Christ redeems your past, your present, and your future. That's why Christ must become the only thing, the only one that you identify with. So in our resurrection with Christ, we are born again a new creation. In our new birth, we are a new creation created in the image of Christ. We are no longer known according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's 2 Corinthians 5.16. We are no longer known according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. God doesn't know you in the flesh. He doesn't know your mistakes, past, present, and future. Because when Jesus was the Lamb of God slain, He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. That means that God's eternal plan, not plan B. Listen, man didn't screw things up in the garden, and then God says, well, now what are we going to do? I guess we got to have a new plan. Well, Jesus, would you be willing to go to earth to die for these fools? Well, yes, Father, I will. No, that is horrible, horrible theology. No, Jesus Christ the scripture says, is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. God's plan all along was to save you, was to redeem you. That means before you ever committed your first sin, before you ever even existed, God already knew everything you would ever do. He knew the depths of your depravity. He knew everything about you and He still died for you. He still came to redeem you. So don't buy the lie that now, since you've messed up so royally, surely God will never save me. God could never forgive me. I'm just going to live in guilt and shame, and hopefully one day when I die, maybe, just maybe, God will let me into heaven if I beg him on my knees. No, 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 no. That may sound... Humble, that's really not humility. That is the height of arrogance in reality. In a weird way, it really is. Because what we're really saying is the blood of Jesus is not enough. The blood of Jesus was not enough. I'm going to have to add something to the blood of Jesus. I'm going to have to add my tears and my whiny voice and get down and grovel and, and just, you know, and maybe God will just have pity on me. No, listen. That means nothing. If the blood of Jesus can't redeem you, and if the blood of Jesus can't save you, then nothing and no one can, including yourself. So our resurrection in Christ, we are a new creation. Created where? In Christ. Here's another thing the resurrection does. The resurrection puts on the new man. So in Christ, we're not only a new creation, but the Bible says in Christ we put on the new man. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, when, I, when you read that word baptized, understand that, yes, there was a ceremony where they were either dipped or sprinkled in water. But that's not really what that word baptized is communicating. That word baptized, what it really communicates, because those, listen, Immersing someone in water, baptizing them in water is just an outward symbol of an inward, eternal reality. So 
when Paul writes, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ, the understanding is, who baptized me? It was really the Holy Spirit who placed me into Christ. And when the Holy Spirit placed me into Christ, what does he say? When, when you were placed into Christ, you put on Christ. So there is an old man and there's a new man. In Christ, we put on the new man. But before we can put on the new man, the old man has to be put off. We are all born under a curse that goes all the way back to our father, Adam. Okay, Adam was our first father. And when Adam fell, all humanity fell. You're not born in sin because you, you committed the same sin Adam did. You're born in sin because your nature, you are defined as sinful because of what Adam did. We don't have to teach our babies how to sin. We don't have to give people a license to sin. People are born with a natural bent, a natural ability. Sin just comes naturally because why? Because the Bible says we're sinful. We're not born good, and we just need to foster that good and nurture that good, and then we'll become good people. No. Let me help you out. Don't believe me. Just believe what the Bible says, okay? All right, so we're all born under a curse that goes back to our father, Adam. The old man is the man of our first birth, the natural man born in sin. So who is this old man? The old man is who we are in our first birth apart from Christ. The old man is the carnal or the fleshly man of sin and of death and of darkness. And according to the scripture, our old man is totally and completely depraved with no desire for God and no good in him whatsoever. You don't believe me? How about Jesus in Mark 10, 18? It's also in Luke 19. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, Jesus stops him. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Now, what would you do if Jesus asked you that question? I bet the guy was a little dumbfounded. Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. Or Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Don't ever think that you're going to make it to heaven because of your good works, because you have no good works. What you and I call good is not good apart from God. Now, I'm not saying the atheist who helps the little lady across the street didn't do a good deed. Nothing wrong with that. Or the, the atheist who's down at the food pantry handing out food to the, to the poor. Those are all great things. We should feed, God uses, look, it rains on the just and the unjust. God uses the just and the unjust. He uses all kinds of people to do all kinds of things. You know, he'll use an atheist to feed the poor. He'll use uh, uh, you know, a, a pagan to, to do all kinds of things. So I'm not, saying, I'm not saying there aren't any such thing as good deeds. But when we talk about our salvation, what I am saying and what the Bible says, there is no good deed 
There is no good work. There is no goodness we can do or we can be that makes us good enough to earn or to be entitled to eternal life or salvation. In fact, the Bible says there there is no one good but God. There is none who are good. So when we are crucified and buried with Christ, we put off and we put away the old man. That's why the Bible says you must be willing to lay down your life. You must be willing to take up your cross. You must be willing to be crucified with Christ. Because until your old man is put away, you can never put on the new man. The cross crucifies the old man of sin and death. The old man dies with Christ. The old man is buried with Christ. The old man is put away in death. The old man must go before the new man will come. But now if we have been crucified with Christ, the Bible is very clear. Paul says if you have been crucified with Christ, then you have been raised with Christ. So to be crucified with Christ is to be raised with Christ and to put on a new man. Romans 6, 5, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We are brought to life in Christ and raised up by grace through faith. Baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit, we put on Christ, and so we put on the new man. Christ, the promised seed sown into the ground, has become the first fruits of resurrection, producing much fruit. All of you today who are in Christ are the fruit of that resurrection. Christ was that kernel of of grain that fell into the ground and died so they could be raised up and produce much fruit. If you are in Christ, you are the fruit of his resurrection. So Christ, by the grace of God and the power of the cross, in Christ we are crucified and buried with him. That means we have died to sin just like Christ died to sin. We are raised up in his life. In Christ, we are made alive to God. You're dead to sin, but alive to God. This is what Paul says. Reckon yourself dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. The old man is put off in death. The new man is put on in life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. This is the power of resurrection. It's not just the power of Easter Sunday. It's not something we should remember or celebrate just one time a year. This is the reality. This is the power. This is the truth that we live in every moment of every day for all eternity. This is the eternal truth of who we are and what Christ has done for us. We are raised up in Christ, a new creation. We're not raised up, listen, we're not raised up a modified or improved version of Adam. Jesus isn't God's second try to get it right because he failed the first time in the garden. God never fails. No. We're not just going back to the Garden of Eden. Well, one day we're all going to go back to the Garden of Eden. It's going to be the way it was supposed to be. No. The way it happened in the garden is exactly the way it was supposed to be. Because God had a plan. He is taking us somewhere. He's not going backwards. He's going forwards. Always pointed in the right direction. 
We're not making a big circle back to the garden. So we're not a modified or improved version of Adam. We are raised in the life of another. We are raised up in Christ. Therefore, Christ has become the very life of all who trust him. In our resurrection with Christ, we put on Christ. We put on the new man in the newness of life. We have put away, we've put off the old man of sin and death. You can't do that. Before you were born again, you were trapped in sin and death. There were no good works. There was no amount of money you could pay. There was absolutely nothing you could do to free yourself from that. Your good works will not achieve that for you. This is a big discussion going on right now. Miss Brenda showed me an article that was just put out by Pope Francis who basically, didn't basically, he said, if you are even an atheist and you just do good works, we'll all meet together one day. No mention of Christ. Listen, there is no good work you can do. The only good work that can save us is the one good work Christ did on the cross. That is the work that saves us. And if we don't identify with his death, with his burial, and with his resurrection, if we're not brought to that cross and crucified with him, buried with him, and raised with him, we have no hope. So the resurrection makes a new creation. The resurrection puts on a new man. The resurrection makes us alive to God. So in Christ, we're not only new creations. In Christ, we not only put on a new man, but now in Christ, we are alive to God. Before we were in Christ, you were dead to God. You are eternally separated from God. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. In Adam all die. How many of you were in Adam? Okay, let me ask it this way. How many of you were ever born? Not, wow. Well, how did the rest of you guys get here? To stork. So when you were born, you were born in Adam. You ultimately descended from Adam. And what Paul is saying right here, in Adam all men die. Even so, in Christ, all men are made alive. All are made alive. Who is in Christ? When do we come to be in Christ? If we, were, if we came to be in Adam when we were born, when do we come to be in Christ? When we are born again. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God until you're born again. Well, why, why did Nicodemus need to be born again? Because he was still in Adam and he was dead, separated from God. Jesus basically says, you're so far from God, you're so far from the kingdom, you can't even see it. There is such a gulf of separation between you and the kingdom because you are dead in Adam. 
The only way, Nicodemus, you can see the kingdom, even have a hope of seeing it, you must be born again. How many of you wrote out to your parents and told them exactly how you wanted to be born, where you wanted to be born, where you wanted to live, how you wanted to grow up, what you wanted to be named, what color you wanted your hair to be, what color you wanted your eyes to be? How many of you did that? Yeah, I figured you would be the only one. You didn't, did you? You were born by the grace of God. Guess how you're born again? By the grace of God. In Adam, all die. It was sin that brought death. It was sin and death that separated us from God. From Adam's fall, from that time, all men, listen, regardless of their station in life, regardless of their social status, their moral status, their ethnic status, or any other status, all men in Adam since his fall are separated from God. In Adam, apart from Christ, we are eternally separated from God in sin and death and darkness. Ephesians 5.8, Paul says, he writes to the Ephesians, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Who can make what is darkness light? God does that. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That is the grace of God, church. And Adam, apart from Christ, we are separated from God. Any and all without Christ are without hope. But any and all who are in Christ, the Bible says, shall be made alive. In sin, we were dead to God. But in Christ, by grace, we are made alive to God. By grace and of His own will, God brings us forth in Christ as new creations. We are raised up with Christ in His life, putting off the old man as we put on the new. I mean, it's just like putting on a jacket. It's just like me taking this jacket off and putting it on. I mean, we are clothed. That's why the Bible says we're clothed in a robe of righteousness. It's not our righteousness because we have none. God, in His grace, clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. We have died to sin, but have become alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In His grace, He saves us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You notice what it didn't say? It didn't say that God, who is rich in mercy, when He saw that we would prove ourselves to Him, and by our many good works, and by our much hard work, made us Alive who were dead. No. We were dead in trespass and sin. And in spite of who we were apart from Christ, in spite of that, God made us alive. By grace, you have been saved. It is His will 
He brings us forth, James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In his grace he saves us, in his will he brings us forth. In Christ he makes us new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. If any woman, if any child, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We were born dead in sin. Listen to me, church. We were born dead in sin. We must become dead to sin. We need to be born again in order to become dead to sin. We're born dead in sin. That's a problem. What we need to do is to become dead to sin so that sin has no power over us anymore. The only way to become dead to sin is to be made new in Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And in his resurrection, we not only become dead to sin, but we become alive to God. This is what Paul is writing in his letter to the Romans. Let me read to you verse 5 and verse 11 of Romans 6. We just read it a while ago. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, if you've been crucified with Christ, you will be and have been raised with Christ. Verse 11. Likewise. Let me just read the preceding verses. Let's go to verse 7, Romans 6, 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Do you understand why your death in the cross is so important? Do you understand why it's so important for you to be crucified with Christ? Because when you died, you were set free from sin. What were you set free from? Not just your sinful actions. Your sinful actions don't make you sinful. You have sinful actions because that's who you are by nature. I always use this, right? My, my four dogs in my backyard, why do they bark? They didn't become dogs when they started barking, right? They bark every night. They bark at everything. They bark at the coyotes. They bark at the neighbor's dogs who torment them at the friends who say, we're free, but you're not. And so they, why do they do that? I've gone out there at 3 o'clock in the morning and tried to reason with my dogs. Don't you guys want to go to sleep? I mean, don't you want to get in your house and just like sleep? Do you guys ever sleep? Yeah, during the day we sleep. That's what they tell me. We play at night. Yeah, I know. I hear you all the time. Is, is that, why do they do that? Because they're dogs. I didn't have to train them to do that. I didn't have to give them treats to make them do that. Matter of fact, I've done everything I know to make them not do that, and they still do it. Why? Because it's their nature. So you know what we do, us preachers? That's why a lot of people don't want to come to church anymore. Because we get up in the pulpit and we just, we just begin to beat people over the head with our Bibles. And we say, don't you want to behave better? Don't you want to go to heaven? Don't you want to quit sinning? If you just quit sinning, you could get to heaven one day. Well, I've tried, Pastor. I've tried. Well, you need to try harder. Have you fasted yet? Well, um, but I, I don't want to hear your excuses. Come on, try harder. Pray harder. Your problem is you just love sin too much. No, the problem is I'm a sinner. And no one had to teach me how to sin. And now maybe I'm born again. And my problem isn't even that I want to... 
it's not that I don't want to quit sinning. My problem is now I've got a comprehension problem because I've been conditioned to believe a lie for so long that I don't, I don't know what to do with the truth. We cannot modify people's behavior and get them to heaven. Listen, I'll tell you what. As human beings, we have the power to modify people's behavior. And if modifying people's behavior could get them to heaven, then Jesus really didn't need to come and die on a cross for us. If making people feel guilty about their sin and condemning them and judging them and reinforcing that they just need to try harder would get them to heaven, uh, listen, the church has done that. They've done a real good job of that, and it doesn't seem to be working. Matter of fact, it just seems to be driving people away. And I don't blame them, really. Because what brought us to the place that we are, what has preserved us, is not our ability to make people feel bad about their sin. The gospel is this. The gospel reveals our sinfulness. It reveals the true nature of our sin and the true reason that we do sin. We sin and we love sin because same reason my dogs love to do what they do because they're dogs. I sin because I'm a sinner. And until my nature is changed... Not my behavior modified, but until my nature is changed, nothing else will ever change. If I could just go out there and snap my fingers and make my dogs not dogs anymore, then they wouldn't be barking in the middle of the night, right? Because they wouldn't be dogs. If I could just go out there and say, poof, now become human beings, well, they wouldn't keep doing it. They might for a little while because I might need to renew their minds and convince them they're not dogs anymore. But once once they realize that they're not dogs anymore, they're not going to, you know, poop in the backyard. They're not going to eat out of the dog bowl. They're not going to live in the dog house and stand at the fence and bark because that's not what people do. That's not what humans do, right? Listen, when you become born again and you put off the old man and you become a new man, guess what your problem is? Your problem is not that you're not a new man. The problem is you're still living with the mind of the old man. You've stood at the fence and barked for so long and howled at the moon that that's all you know to do. Well, listen... Trying to convince you that you're really not a dog anymore is, is you know, I can sit in there and, and, until I'm blue in the face. You need to have your mind renewed to the truth. You need to understand that trying harder isn't going to change who you are. Only God in His grace, by the power of your death and your resurrection in the cross, only through the power of resurrection can your nature be changed. And once your nature has changed and you've been born again and you have become alive to God, there is a lifelong process called the renewing of your mind that begins to take place. And you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to wash your mind with the truth. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself still living like a sinner. Or you're going to find yourself beating yourself up, condemning yourself, being sad the rest of your life for all the sin that you've ever committed, thinking that, how could God ever forgive me? As if there was something we could do to make him forgive us anyways. There's nothing you can do to make God forgive you. He forgave you before the world was formed. Oh, you don't believe that? Well, well, let me read the Bible to you. Because here's what the Bible says. Y'all believe, don't believe me. Y'all believe the Bible? Believe the Bible. Let me read the Bible to you. That's why it's important for pastors and preachers 
to read the Bible. We don't need another Sunday morning self-help, success, motivation seminar. You need the gospel because the only thing that will change you, the only thing that will transform you from sin and death, dead to God, to being alive to God is the power of the gospel. It is the word of God. And here's what the word of God says. Ephesians 1, 4. Oh, let's begin in verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Do you believe that? It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's true. That's what's happened. Now, if you don't believe it, if you don't have your mind renewed to that, then it's like having a million dollars in your bank account and you don't know it. It's your money. It's under your control. If you don't know it's there, it does you absolutely no good, does it? No, it doesn't. Verse 4, just as he chose, we read this a few weeks ago, do you all remember this? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, when did he choose us? Just as he chose us when he made sure we weren't going to commit any vile and dirty sins. Oh, nope, can't choose Jeff because look at that sinner down there. Mm -mm. Oh, well, God probably didn't know I was going to do all that stuff, right? After all, he's just God. He probably doesn't know everything, does he? That's the way we act sometimes, right? Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Remember Remember what that says in the Greek? I love this. Before he threw down the foundation of the cosmos. Let me ask you, was that before your first mistake? Was that before that first, that really big failure you committed? Was that before that thing that you just can't seem to get past? God chose you in him before he threw down the foundations of the cosmos. Did God choose you because you were all that? Because you've never made a mistake? Because you've only been successful? I mean, who is that person? Doesn't rain on me. I'm so bad it doesn't rain on me. Except when I want it to, right? Now, that person does not exist. You know why we're saved? We're saved by the grace of God. I'm not saved because I'm a pastor and I somehow deserve it more than you. None of us deserve. We're studying the book of John on Wednesday nights and we just got through the John 13 where we're looking at Judas and Judas goes out and betrays and we're like, oh, how could Judas do that? That dirty, rotten scoundrel. Now, the reality is we are all Judas apart from the grace of God. The difference between Judas and Peter is Jesus prayed for Peter. He didn't pray for Judas. Peter denied Jesus three times. What have you done to deserve to be saved? What have I done to deserve salvation? The answer is nothing. We're born dead in sin. Through our new birth, we become dead to sin. So if we're in Christ, having been born again of the Spirit by grace through faith, we are no longer dead in sin, but we have become dead to sin. The problem is not the reality of our death to sin. The problem is the comprehension of our death to sin. A lot of you are dead to sin. You just don't know it. 
I therefore do not reckon myself dead indeed to sin because I don't comprehend my death and my resurrection in Christ. If I don't understand my death and my resurrection in Christ, I'm not going to understand that I'm dead to sin. I'm not going to understand how God sees me. I'm still living in this life thinking that I'm trying to do all this for God to prove myself to Him. And there's no way I can prove myself to Him. There's nothing I can do. I have nothing to give God. Because we have the capacity, we don't believe it because we have the capacity and the inclination to sin. And that's why we don't fully comprehend our freedom from sin. Listen, just because you got saved, your mind didn't... Did you forget all the things you ever did? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you know, I'm just asking this, if you know right now, if you know in your heart of hearts that you are born again and saved... Can you stop and think about the sin in your sinful life and who you used to be? I can. Brian McNulty ran into an old friend of mine that I knew from my hometown in Victoria. I worked with him when I was, it was either when I was in high school or in college. It was a summer job. He just, Brian just happened to meet him at the ice machine last weekend. And, and so, and they get to talking and lo and behold, you know, Brian goes to Church of Christ Fellowship, Pastor Jeff Ripple. I knew Jeff Ripple. And the guys told me this to my face before. He said, man, you are the last person I ever thought would be a preacher. And I can attest, I know exactly why you would think that. Because I, I was the last person I ever thought would be a preacher too. So I promise you, I, I'm not saved. I'm not going to heaven because I did everything right. Oh my gosh. No, I'm going to heaven because God is graceful. That's why. You're going to heaven because God is graceful, not because you've done everything right. You may have done almost everything wrong, and you know what? That does not void, cancel out the grace of God. So when we don't comprehend that we are fully alive to God and fully righteous in Christ and fully dead to sin, it affects how we live. It affects our understanding. It affects how we view everything. And what needs to happen is that our mind needs to be renewed. Now, that's a different sermon for a different day. And we're going to talk about that next week. Renewing our mind. So in our resurrection with Christ, we are brought forth as a new creation in Christ. We put on the new man in Christ. And we are made we are made alive to God in Christ. If you struggle with this, then you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You don't need to get saved again cuz you salvation is not something you do over and over and over. No such thing. You don't get saved, lose your salvation, get saved again, lose your salvation, get saved again. You won't that's that doesn't exist in the Bible. What, hap- what, what you need to do is get your mind renewed to the salvation that you've been given by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God's given you a gift, and you just, you, just, you just don't know what it is. You don't comprehend it. The cross, remember, what is that? It is the death, 
The burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cross, is the pivotal event in all of history. The first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created. We come to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. And the last words of Jesus in Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20, next to the last verse, the last words God's recorded to speak in the Bible. Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is the pivotal event of all of human history. Period. A new creation has come. It came out of the grave with the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that, church? A new creation has come. Say, well, I don't see it. Well, what eyes are you using to look with? See, that's the problem. If you're looking with natural eyes, if you're looking at your salvation with natural eyes, you're not going to see it. If you're trying to look at the love of God and the grace of God with natural eyes, you'll never see it and you'll never know it. You'll never believe what the Bible declares, that a new creation has come forth. Jesus has made all things new. Whether you believe it or not, they are. And he'll come back to this earth one day and he's going to cause this earth, even the, the dirt and the plants, everything, that groans right now for the manifestations of the sons of God. Global warming, pollution, what the Chinese are, they're destroying our planet, the Chinese are. Listen, God's got it under control. He has already brought a new creation. Listen, my body's going to come out of the grave one day, physically resurrected, because I've already been raised with Christ. The earth is going to be made new one day because Christ has already brought a new creation. If you're trying to figure out global warming, no global warming, pollution, no pollution, uh, not too, uh, listen, you're looking at the wrong thing. Wars, oh, what about all the wars? I thought God said he's bringing peace to the earth. He did bring peace to the earth. He brought the most important peace. God is not our enemy. We are not God's enemy any longer. We were His enemy. But He has brought peace. Christ. Jesus Christ is our peace. And Jesus has made all things new again. Through the power of His cross, His death, His burial, in his resurrection. The question is, do you know it, church? Do you know it? I pray that you do. Let's all stand. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come down to the front if you want to know Jesus. I'm not going to guilt you in and make you think... uh, you know, if you leave here, I've been in these services. If you leave here, you never know. The rapture might happen and Jesus might come back and then it's too late for you. No. Listen. We don't need scare tactics in the church. 
We don't need more emotional manipulation in the church. What we need in the church is the gospel and the truth. And if the gospel, if the gospel can't break your heart, there's no amount of fear I can put into you. There's no amount of emotional manipulation I can put into you that's going to... Might, I might guilt you into accepting Jesus, but if it's not true faith, if it's not a confession of Jesus as your Lord and Savior from a true heart of faith, then it's nothing. And I'm telling you, right where you are right now, if you have never cried out to the Lord to save you, if you cry out right now where you are, whether you cry out loud or whether you cry out within your heart, if you cry out to God from a heart of faith, the promise God gives us is that He will save you. If you will call upon Jesus from a heart of faith because the gospel has touched your heart because you realize who you are apart from Christ. Call upon Him. He will save you. I promise you. And He will change you and He will transform you. I promise that. I promise that as well. Amen. Father, we, on this Sunday that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, what we call Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. Lord, we, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the power and the salvation and the new creation that the resurrection has brought. Lord, we trust in your promise that your word declares that if we will call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. Lord, the only way we can call upon you is from a heart of faith. Lord, if we don't call from a heart of faith, there is no salvation, for we are saved only by grace through faith. Lord, faith is a gift, and I pray, God, that you would, in your grace and in your mercy, Lord, cause dead sinners to come to life. Lord, put faith in their hearts that they would cry out to you and call upon your name. And be saved eternally. Be made new creations in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask this today that you would do it. And that you would do it for your glory. For you do all things for your glory, Lord. Unto you be all glory, all honor. Lord, we thank you for the body of Christ, the church. Thank you for each one that's here today that has taken their time to come and to worship. Lord, bless them. Change us, we pray, God, as we walk out of these doors. Lord, I pray that we would walk out in some measure changed and transformed by the gospel of Christ. Bless our fellowship today as we, Lord, continue our celebration of your resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs>